I want to continue our theme here of um, uh, the Holy Spirit. Um, we have been looking at this over the summer. If you're a visitor with us, hopefully you can pick up where we're left off. Um, it's great to have you. If you are a visitor, you're really, really welcome. We should have Michelle with us. Uh, Michelle leads the vineyard in Dungana, a great friend. And yeah, every now and again, you get a you get a week off now and again, you know. So it's great to have you with us this morning, Michelle, and um, and anybody else who's who's uh, who's new here um, today. We have been we've been exploring this theme um, because. Not, not because we just think oh, it would be great to study the Holy Spirit, even though it would just be great to study the Holy Spirit. But in the context, and I really feel it's worth reiterating this, we really do feel the Spirit is at work amongst us at the moment. We feel that the weight of his presence is increasing. And we feel, while it may sound slightly maybe arrogant to say something, I guess we do feel that the, whole, the Lord is calling us alongside the church in Ireland, but he's calling us to steward a fresh move of his Spirit. So I just want to like tell you why we're preaching on this, right? Because that's what we're believing for. We're, we're believing that the Lord wants us to steward a new move of, of his spirit. And, and so we want to respond to that with a sense of responsibility, a sense of awe, a sense of the fear of the Lord, if you want to put it like that. And we, cause, cause, because it's, we've realized through Scripture it is possible to resist the spirit, it is possible to grieve the Spirit, and it is possible to quench the Spirit. It's possible to do all of those things with the Holy Spirit. And so if we feel that the Holy Spirit is working in our lives and wants to increase the sense of his presence, wants to move in us in ways that um, uh, we are filled with awe at his presence, then we need to respond well. And we also need, I think, to have a biblically robust understanding of who the Holy Spirit is, because uh, probably in the Godhead, as we've been teaching over the last few weeks, he's the one that maybe often we don't understand the most, or we get slightly weird understandings of who he is. And so basically this is like one slide recap. Is this working, Johnny? Oh, thank you. Um, yeah, so just if, if I was to kind of summarize the last few weeks, what we've been talking about, the Holy Spirit is person. He's not an it, he's not a fluid, and he's not a liquid. He, he is a person. He is a third person of the Trinity. He exists in perfect union with the Father and the Son and in love. He, um, he comes to us as the person, one of the, so he is God. We're dealing with God here when we're dealing with the Holy Spirit, okay? Um, we're talking about presence, so he is person, but he is presence. God is always from the very beginning. It seems to be the manifestation of the actual presence of God, the Father and the Son, is the is the Spirit. So it says at the very beginning of the of, of the Bible that the Spirit is the same word as breath, the same word as wind, right? So the very if you're if you're right up close to somebody, the very essence of who they are, in a sense, you're getting it through their breath. It's their breath. It's their living. So God is presence and Without, I could preach a whole sermon on this. I'm going to try and rein it in so I get to where I'm supposed to go. But basically, right, the very essence of who God is, he's wanted to put into his people, right? He's wanted to put in. And while the temple in the Old Testament became the primary place where that connection between heaven and earth met and everything God wanted to happen orientated around that prioritization of his presence, ultimately where he wanted to get to was to put it in us so that Paul could say in the New Testament through what Jesus has done, we are now we are now the temples. We are living temples, mobile temples where the presence of God is um, located. And not only is he presence, but he is power. Uh, wherever his presence is, his power is. He is power. We sung about it this morning. Be still for the presence and the power of God is in this place. And that means it's the Holy Spirit. And so 
We know that the Bible speaks then, if that's who the Holy Spirit is, and just honoring the person and the role of the Holy Spirit in the Bible, then what does it mean? Because the Bible in the New Testament particularly talks about how to live in the Spirit. Our responsibility as Christians is to live in the Spirit. And let's deconstruct that a little bit to go, what does that actually mean? Because it's the mandate of the, of the Jesus follower is to be a person who lives in the Spirit. And over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about the infilling of the Spirit, okay? Yeah, so we're gonna, and we're going to pray for people and we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to come upon us and empower like we will today as well. But we're going to get into that a little bit more. But I want to paint a picture just this morning in the time we've got left for why we need the Holy Spirit. Uh, the vision of the, a vision of where we're supposed to be heading towards. What are, the Greek word is the word teleos, the word goal, the, the place that we're fixing our eyes on and why we need to be fully dependent on the Holy Spirit to get there as a fulfillment for our, not just even our purpose in life, but for our whole humanity, uh, where we want to get. Because we were born and uh, then born again through, G, through, through what Jesus has done to be like Jesus. Right, that's like one of those kind of simple statements, and it's one of those almost overused statements. But I believe that my primary purpose in life, when I was a young man, I used to think it was you know to be a Premier League footballer or something. You know that would have been great. It wasn't just good enough, right? But it would have been great. But that wasn't. That's not my purpose in life. That might be part of how God uses my purpose. That might be part of how um, I uh, express the goal. But my goal, my purpose in life, I was born. What was I born for? Fundamentally, was to be like Jesus to be an image bearer of God. And because of my sin, I couldn't do that well or at all, really. But because I was born again by the Spirit of God, a new creature, I became. And therefore, my goal is to become like Jesus. That is, it, the bar does not drop from that. It never has, right? It never has. That is what we are born to. And so it's not, when I say that, that doesn't mean some kind of nice, meek and mild, kind of well-rounded, morally upright person. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about actually being like Jesus, right? And most Christians think they believe this, but actually don't. And they think they believe it, but they certainly don't orientate their lives in that direction towards that. That's what I found out about my life anyway. And so we can only do this through the Spirit. I, I finished this scripture last week, but I, I did it quite quickly, so I want to read it again. First, uh, Second Peter 1. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who, through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ, have received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power, right, there it goes, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises. This is the line I want you to really get. So that through them you may participate in the divine nature. Like you could just stop preaching there and like just let's think about that for the rest of the day. So that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world because of evil desires. You were called to participate in the very character of God. That never ceases to blow my socks off, honestly. My head is swirling when I think about that. I am not supposed to just become a nice person. I am supposed to participate in the character of God himself, maker of the universe, the very nature of who he is. This is what it means to take on the character of God himself, to become Christ-like in your character. And so, as I said sort of funnily last week, but seriously, if 
If I am not, if I am an impatient person, I can become patient. If I am a stingy person, I can become generous. If I am an unforgiving, bitter person, I can become a forgiving, secure, unjealous person who champions others more than he does himself. You can't change. You can't change. You know, we have these sayings, you can't change an old dog, no, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. All. Nonsense. You actually can. I don't have a dog, but I have been told that you can't teach an old dog new tricks, right? You can't change, right? So I was saying last week, don't ever allow one another off with a statement like, well, that's just the way I am, so they're going to have to accept it. If you're part of the body of Christ, don't ever let each other off with that. Because that's the, the worst thing you could do is to let each other off with that. Now, I'm not saying, like, go down their throats, but just say, like, can we talk about that? Because maybe it's possible that you could change. Because if we're participating in the divine nature, we're moving from glory to glory towards that. So the same, but the only way we can do that, the only and ever the only way we can do that is through the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. The same Spirit that, led, that raised Jesus from the dead is an us working in us to guide us in the truth that Jesus said he would in order to become a Christ-like, Jesus-looking person. That's what we're aiming towards. This is not, you know, as we keep saying, this is not behavior modification. It's not simply wanting to become a better person. It's not reading a few self-help books, right? It's, it's not any of those things. It's a work of the Spirit of God. I have read most of those things, and it didn't change me. It kind of motivated me now and again, but it didn't change me. I didn't become a better husband and a better father and a better friend and more, 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 um, you know, and I, like I've been in that world. I played football all my life. I know what it's like to have a motivational speech and to have a picture of, you know, somebody famous with a kind of cool quote. that motiv- I know what that's like, and it kind of gets you up. It perks you up a little bit, but it doesn't change you. And all the political and social revolutions of the day, which done a lot of, some of them did some kind of good, they didn't change the human heart. Because the only thing that can change the human heart is a work of the Spirit of God. And we have more self-improvement anyway, as I said last week as well, I think. We have more self-improvement, more psychological techniques, more medicine, more all of that than we've ever had in the history of the world, and yet we still have more suicide depression, insecurity, marriage breakdowns, family dysfunction than ever. So it's a spiritual problem that needs a spirit, 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 spiritual cure. Now when I say spirit, I'm not talking about something up in the cloud. I'm talking about something that's closer than your own breath. It's the spirit of God within us, changing us from the inside out. And so when we are born again, our spirit, which was cut off, if you like, from the source of its maker, has been in and through what Jesus has done. Our sins have been dealt with. We've been forgiven. We've been brought into relationship with God. And our spirits become one with the Holy Spirit. We're connected to the source. And we start a process of becoming like Jesus. It's always and only a work of the Holy Spirit. And we are called away by the Spirit from a life of sin, and also, crucially, from a life of religion and conformity to other people's expectations or to what you think even God's expectations sometimes are you, we're called away from that, as we're going to look at now, into a life of true sonship. Into a life of true daughtership, whatever way you want to put it. We're supposed to change. I forgot about that. 
But there you go. It's metamorphosis, isn't it? It's transformation. We become something new, something different, like a caterpillar to a butterfly. And so life in the Spirit is true, true sonship. So let's dig a bit deeper into this. Life in the Spirit, true sonship. A verse to help us is this verse. Galatians chapter 5, 16 to 18. I say then, live by the Spirit, Paul says to the church, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what's contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not know what you want. Right? But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. It's interesting to notice the, the, the ordering of this, right? So the first part of it said this. If we live by the Spirit, we will not follow the desires of the flesh. It's interesting the order, isn't it? If you live by the Spirit, then you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Now, has anybody, like, particularly maybe if you're a young Christian, or not necessarily brought up in a, a Christian home or something, has anybody tried to do it all the way around? Because I certainly have. And every time I do, I end up with egg in my face, feel like a failure, covered in more shame, because I try to not desire the flesh in my own strength. Right? So I'm like, how can I overcome the wills of the flesh? I think this, I think this about this person. I have lustful thoughts about this thing. How can I, like, kind of kill myself? You know, how can I, like, stop all these desires? You know, how can I control this myself? Then maybe Jesus would love me a bit more. But that's not what it says here. It says, if you live by the Spirit, you learn how to live by the Spirit, then you'll not fulfill the lusts and the desires of the flesh. So we have to learn how to live by the Spirit. So I want to start quickly by saying two things, and then I'm going to say something else, if that makes sense, right? The two things I want to say are what living in the Spirit is not. So this probably seems obvious, but it's worthwhile saying what life in the Spirit is not. The first thing is life in the Spirit is not living to or onto the flesh. Right? Now that seems obvious, but let, let me just say something about this. It means not wanting, it's more than not wanting just to do bad things. It's, it's wanting to do nothing that would simply promote me over and above the lordship of Jesus in my life. So sin is the bad things we do. We're all aware of sin. If we've been around the church, we know what sin is the bad things that we do. What we're not told sometimes is sin comes from a deeper place within us, which is the promotion of self over and above the lordship of Jesus. So we want to sit on the throne of our own hearts. That's basically it. And we want to do the things that we want. And we put other people before God, other things before God, other desires before God. Right, And that is living on to the sinful nature. That's a law at work within you. That is a, that's an impulse within you for you to do what you want to do with your life. It's not The bad things that we do come from that place. But we can try to control the bad things that we want to do as long as we want, which might be helpful because it's better than not doing bad things, but ultimately you're not really changed. If you're going to be changed, you have to get off the throne of your own heart, bow the knee and put Jesus on it as Lord. When I was a young man, somebody, uh, somebody showed me a diagram like this. If the circle is your heart and the chair is the throne of your heart, S is self. So you could put your own initial there if you want. <laughs> it's just a simple wee diagram, but I've never forgotten it. And the cross is outside. And what you're saying is, and some people try to live their lives with Jesus kind of in the circle, actually, Right? They try to, like, I sort of go to church and Jesus in my life and my family's a Christian and all that kind of thing. But you're still sitting in the chair of your life, you know. And that's not really salvation, from being completely honest with you this morning, right? 
And I came to a point in my life where I was brought up in a Christian home. I would have called myself a Christian and all of those kind of things. And in a sense, I think I was, right? But I knew that I had something to do. I had to get off that throne and I had to put Jesus on it. And myself needed to be fully surrendered to his lordship. And I needed to get down at the bottom of that chair so that the lordship of Jesus and myself was properly aligned with who Jesus is as Lord in my life. And it's the Holy Spirit that helps us do that. The Holy Spirit brings us to this place. You can't do that without the Holy Spirit, right? So here's a scripture here that says, no one can say Jesus is Lord except through the Holy Spirit. So you can't even do what I just described without the Spirit's help. You can't become a Christian without the work of the Spirit. If the Spirit's not in you, the Bible's quite clear, you're not a Christian. You're not a follower of Jesus because you can only declare the lordship of Jesus when we acknowledge him as the source of our life. And so when we get saved, the work of the cross and the work of the Spirit are completely entwined and they're never separated, right? That happens at salvation. But big point that I want to try and make today is that for the perpetual ongoing work of transformation, they're still always together. Right? If you want to be changed and transformed into the person that Jesus has called you to become, then the Spirit and the cross are always working together to do that. Because here is the thing, right? I've learned over the life. It was only really when the Spirit was at work in my life that I came to realize what a scumbag I really was. Like how selfish I really am. Because before you're saved, like, you know you're not perfect. Like, you wouldn't say you're perfect, but you have all sorts of ways to justify your actions because you're promoting yourself, right? So it's actually only when you get saved, saved and the spur comes and works on you that you start to realize, oh my goodness, this law of sin and death was deep in me. This selfishness is deep in me. This is deep in me. I'm a, like the psalmist said, I'm a brute before you, Lord, Right? And so you start to realize, if I am saved, not just to like get into heaven, but to actually become like Jesus, there's going to be a work daily that needs to happen in my life for me to be changed and transformed. But the beautiful thing about the Spirit is He doesn't lead you to condemnation. He leads you to transformation, right? He doesn't lead you to a place of condemnation, but He leads you to a place of transformation. And so where does that mean He leads us to? He leads us to the cross, Every day, he leads us to the cross of Jesus where we can be saved from this part of us that sometimes is so overwhelming, it's so strong within us. How do we get free of this? I want me on the throne of my heart. The only way we do that is by appropriating the work of the cross daily in our lives. So let me put it like this. The Spirit helps us to acknowledge Jesus is Lord, right? So the Spirit helps you to acknowledge first and foremost, you can't say Jesus is Lord without the Holy Spirit, but the reality of his work, sorry, the Spirit helps us to acknowledge Jesus as Lord and the reality of his work, what his work means for our salvation. But the ongoing transformation happens by daily appropriation of that work. That means you apply it every day. That means you realize why you were baptized and what happened when you were baptized. It wasn't just a nice wee thing for your family to come to and throw a bit of water around you, Right? That wasn't what it was about. It was you publicly saying, I am reckoning or counting myself dead to sin, but alive in Jesus Christ. So I 
almost daily from I was about 17 or 18 and I got off the throne of my heart. This is what I've done in my own quiet time. I sit before Jesus to get really practical and sometimes actually put my hands out, spread them out. And I imagine myself dying with Jesus. That's what I do. Or I sit with my hands face down as a way of saying, on my lap saying, Jesus, just push this. I'm pushing this down. You take me, the law of sin and death that still wants to have its way in me. Right? I'm, I'm, I'm laying that down. You take it. Or I'm identifying myself with your death. Thankfully, he did it with me. So I didn't have to actually die. But if I want to be a participator in the divine nature, then I have to work out how to die to my old person. And I wish I could do that in one go. I really do. But I can't. And so don't come up and correct me in this theology, right? But basically, I get saved every day. I get born again and again and again and again and again. Why? Because I need to. (laughs) Because I'm, I'm more like Jesus, thank God, than I was when I was 17. And hopefully I'm more like Jesus than I was last week. But there's still a bit to go. But Jesus never lowered the bar for me and said, Alan, look what you're doing rightly. And, you know, sure, leave it there. Go and do your own thing now for the last few years of your life. Water the whole thing down. Oh, be, be like me. And then what you find is actually there's a joy in this. There's a joy in becoming like Jesus because it sets you free. There's therefore no condemnation in Christ Jesus for the law of the Spirit of God has set you what? Free, free from the law of sin and death. And those of us who have lived a wee bit longer anyway know that if we live to ourselves, as much as it feels like a buzz at the start, ends up just binding us all up. We're not free at all. But when we come to the work of the cross, by the Spirit we are changed and we are transformed. So the work of the Spirit is an ongoing thing that works alongside the work of the cross daily. We appropriate the work of the cross. The old King James, because my dad read it, and he taught me this, so I've never forgotten. And it uses the word, reckon yourself dead. Reckon yourself dead. And he used to say to me, son, you've got to reckon yourself dead. Meditate on it. It sounds like a more like a Lurgan word, doesn't it? Just reckon yourself dead, right? Just reckon, think about it. Reckon it. Reckon yourself dead. Meditate. Think about it. Ponder it. Recognize it. Every time it's just me wanting to do my thing. Me wanting to like force my agenda and my home and my relationship. Oh, oh. Me wanting to satisfy the loss of my own, all of that. Just try and reckon yourself dead, son. Reckon yourself dead. And the reality is we'll get it wrong, but we've got an advocate with the Father. You know, that if we confess our sons, he's faithful and just to forgive us. And we, and we go again. And we're changed. And we're transformed. And we actually become the kind of people that we were born to be. So we're not just... Living in the Spirit is not living in... It's not living to the sinful nature, but it's also not living to the law. This is good news. I promise you. This is good news. Anybody have school rules today in their school? Yeah? When they were like bad boys or whatever, or girls, right? Like Rules are great, and we need some rules. We certainly need boundaries and all of this. But what 
Paul was saying was, he, he, he said in this scripture that I read, right, that if, if you live by the Spirit, you'll not satisfy the sinful nature. We said, for the sinful nature desires what's contrary to the Spirit, the Spirit's what's contrary. So he's, he's setting them up. There's a war going on, a war between the Spirit and you and the law of sin and death. But then he says, but if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. In other words, he's saying, if you want the Spirit to win, the way you're not going to do it is under the law. The law isn't enough. The law isn't enough to actually change and transform you. It's got to be something different than that. It's got to be something else. It's got to be something more than that. The law can guide us, but it cannot change us. At best, it can guide us a bit. And the law cannot really make us sons and daughters. The law doesn't really make us into true sons and daughters. It makes us, it makes us servants to a regime. But Jesus said, I haven't come to call you servants, I've come to call you friends. I wanted this to be kind of a, a love thing, a deeper thing. You see, the law was given to the children of Israel to help them see what God began to look like. Right? It helped them see a glimpse of what God could look like. So don't kill, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't covet, don't like all these these all, all these things. This is a God who brought you out of Egypt, he doesn't do these things. He's different than all those other gods. But give them a glimpse of what God would be like. But it only <laughs> we all know, don't we? Who's got who's if you if if you've you know, well you go back to when you were a teenager and you heard one of those rules, what happened inside you? Something inside you went, What would it be like to break that? Wouldn't it? Who has ever tried to tell a two year old you're not allowed to eat those sweets? If I see you and watch them give you that little smile and, and, and go and do it. It's a law of sin within us, our own will, us on the throne of our heart, looking to do what we want. But the law doesn't actually change us. It just kind of guides us, but we get changed by an encounter of the Spirit of God in the face of Jesus. And so, so basically the law was built on a negative premise. And here's what it was. How much can I get away with and still be a Christian? That's what it's kind of about. How much can I get away with and still be Christian? If your child said to you, how much can I get away with and still kind of be one of the family? Break your heart. It would break your heart. You know, and if Jesus is looking, see, it's not true sonship. That's not true sonship. That's just being a slave in a house. And, and so for Jesus, being good is not simply about not being bad. Okay, it's becoming like him. It's it's being perfect like he is perfect. It's being a participator in the divine character. Living in the spirit is recognizing. Let me scoot on here. Living in the spirit is not about controlling our sinful acts, but allowing God to change the source. Take your old heart out and put a new one in. Flesh that'll beat to my heart. And then. I'm running out of time here. Are you all right? Give me five minutes. Is that all right? And then I'm done. Promise. Everybody, if you give me five minutes, put your hand up, will you? That's five, ten, fifteen, twenty. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. Five minutes, promise. Okay. So let me just, because I don't want to leave it on this kind of, um, kind of sort of on the what the spirit is not, or sorry, what life in the spirit is not. What life in the spirit is not about controlling our sinful acts. It's changing the source. 
That's why Jesus said, your, your righteousness has to exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees. So even though these are the guys that are walking around with their nose in the earth thinking that they're morally superior to everybody else. No, no, no. Your righteousness needs to exceed that because they have just created a system where they have created their own righteousness based on how they're better than you and how they can get away with looking godly by not doing some bad things. And Jesus says, if you're going to play that game, you need to go right to the end. And right to the end is actually looking like me. So that's why Jesus didn't actually mean, you know, if your right hand causes you to sin, like gouge it out. But he was saying to the Pharisees, if that's the game you're going to play, then that's where you're going to need to end up. Right? But Jesus was saying, no, I want you to be free so that you can live a life in the Spirit. And so life in the Spirit is not living to the flesh, and it's not living under the law, because both of them, there's a whole other sermon around how one arouses the other anyway. Rather, life in the Spirit is true sonship. It's recognizing that in a very real core way, your spirit is opened up to a living relationship, a living, living, dynamic relationship with the living God. It's the actual presence of God himself inside of you, dialoguing with you, closer to you than any other thing or any other person or any other feeling. Like young person, your boyfriend or your girlfriend cannot give you that. You think they can. But I've been there. They cannot give you that. It's just goosebumps. And I'm not saying it's not nice or it might not be the person. I'm not saying it. I'm just saying they cannot give you. They cannot give you what Jesus gives you. They cannot give you it. And if you think they can, you're on the throne of your heart and Jesus is down at your feet. And sometimes you have to make the biggest, hardest decisions in your life. And I had to do it. To say, Jesus, I'm taking that person off. They're not a bad person, but you know what? They're not more important than you in my life. And so Jesus, and it's not just young people, by the way, but often what we get to that place where we realize, Jesus, you need to sit on the throne of my heart because I can be a nice girl or a nice guy and I can even help out in kids and all of that and look, you know, but I am not going to be changed and transformed. I am not going to become the person that I was born to become, which was to look like Jesus himself and to express his glory in my life. And the reality is that is life. That is life in all of its fullness. And so life in Jesus is his actual presence, dialogue. And the thing about it is, you say, well, why can I not have that anyway? Because God cannot play a second fiddle to anything else. He, he, he'll, and he'll never force himself on you. Because it wouldn't be love. Because love is a choice. He'll never make you love him. He will pursue you. He will woo you. He will create all sorts of circumstances to get your attention, but he will never force himself on you because that's not love. That's manipulation. And God's not into that. God's into love. And so God will pursue us and present himself to you, and he's asking you into a real, living, dynamic relationship with him. He's not asking you to conform to a religion. He's not asking you to adopt a set of positions theologically in something. He's asking you into relationship at the very heart of you. This is freedom. This is what life in the Spirit is. It's true sonship. Those who are led by the Spirit are sons and children of God. The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again, rather. The spirit you received brought you to adoption and sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, 
Father, we cried, Daddy, would you help me to become the person that you're calling me to become? I'm done with trying to impress you with some kind of external measures of acts. I want to know you. I want to live in you. And I want to be changed and transformed by you. And finally, the, the Spirit is true sonship. The life in the Spirit is true sonship. And life in the Spirit will look like a life of love. Now, as I finish, I want to just define love, right? And that's why I put the word agape in. That's a Greek word for love. Because in the Greek word, in the word the Bible was written, and there was a few different words for love. In the English, we just have love. Just kind of, like, don't even get me started on love island, right? <laughs> L- love, like, yeah, I'm not saying you can't watch it, right? I'm just saying, like, love island, for goodness sake. It couldn't be further from the truth of biblical love. Right? And I know it's a bit of like sort of mindless whatever. Maybe you need to switch off or whatever. But it's indicative of the way that we use love today, which is some sloppy kind of, you know, feels good for the night. That's not love. That's not love. And we need to fight for love. As a church, we need to fight for love. We need to fight for a proper understanding of what love is. Sickness and health, the death of you part. Covenant love. Jesus-looking love sacrificial, self-denying, other-orientated love. Love when you don't feel like loving kind of love. Love when others don't deserve the love that you think they should have kind of love. It's that kind of love that a life in the Spirit will look like. And that's why Jesus was completely confident in saying, if you get this kind of love, you'll fulfill the law. You'll fulfill all the law. Because all the law and all the prophets, all whatever it is, 631 different commandments... In the old, you'll, come, you'll, you'll fulfill all of them if you agape love, if you love me with your whole soul, if you get off the throne of your own heart and turn all of the affections of your heart towards me. And if you love your neighbor in the same way as you love me, <laughs> as an overflow of that, then, then you'll fulfill the law. And so, I had more to say, but I'm going to finish, I guess. Holiness, holiness then, is becoming like Jesus. Holiness is becoming more loving. Now, not more nice, more loving, more loving, more agape loving. Rugged commitment, sacrificial type of love. Holiness is not so much trying to impress people. Has anybody felt like, you know, that, you know, just growing up, and if you've been brought up in the church in Northern Ireland, you think, right, if I can just, like, present myself a little bit more, like, you know, I know a few more scriptures, and then I kind of am a bit more holy. It's kind of this... I kind of be a bit more moral, superior than everybody else. That's not holiness. Holiness is allowing my, my heart to be set free by the love of God so I can live that kind of life, a life that looks like Jesus, conforming to a higher calling of giving myself away. Holiness, therefore, is not me choosing a moral superiority. It is conforming my life to a higher calling of giving myself away. And I don't know about you, but I cannot do that without the Spirit of God. I can't do that. I don't even want to some days. Because I either can't be bothered or just rather satisfy me. I can't change. I've tried. <laughs> I can't change without the help of the Spirit of God and the grace of God. And he leads me not to condemnation. He doesn't lead you to condemnation. 
He does not. If you get to the point where you think there's something in your life that he's dealt with and all you're hearing in your voice is you're a dirty, rotten, filthy sinner, who do you think you, how could you ever get free of that? Who could ever forget? That's not Jesus and it's not the voice of the Spirit. But if you get those moments, you're like, oh my goodness, God, I just, I just see that. I just see a part of me that has wanted this in my way for so long. And, and yet it's almost like, I find these moments, it's almost like I feel like I've been forgiven but nearly before I've confessed it, if that makes sense. It's almost like Jesus has brought me to this place where it's like he's told me that he loves me and he's going to change me before I've nearly even become aware of what he's changing, if that makes sense, you know. It's like I've been enveloped up in grace and love, and I'm like, oh, Jesus, I'm sorry. But the sense of forgiveness and transformation is much greater than the sense of regret for what I've done. That's how you know it's the spirit. And then he starts to change and transform you. And, I, and so I haven't got today to actually get practical with you about what are some of the things that I try to do in my life to keep in step with the spirit. I'll probably do that next week, okay? But holiness then, as last slide, is choosing love, choosing the love of God over fear and over control and over independence. And Joanne's story today was a, you can see that, wasn't it? That was a, that was a real life example of this. It was like, with the pain that's going on in my life, you know, it'd be easier to stay at home, be easier to pull back, it would be easier to be in control of this and so nobody thinks that. It'd be easier, it'd be, you know, but you know what, I'm, I'm going to choose love over the fear of what this might mean. I'm going to choose love. I'm going to choose the love of God. And then the overflow of that is I'm going to, I'm going to start hope rising and have a number of people every week in a room who struggle with mental health and things that I've been through and I'm going to, I'm going to minister to them out of the love of God out of the change and transformation that God has done, out of all of those things. And so without the Spirit, without the Spirit, we cannot change. And so as we get into talking about what we as charismatics love to talk about, which is how we get filled and baptized and do all of that in the Holy Spirit, which I absolutely love talking about and teaching on, we need to have an idea first and foremost about why we need to be filled with the Spirit daily. We need to be filled with the Spirit daily so we can look like Jesus and, this is a cliffhanger, and so we can do the things that Jesus did. We get to do those things. We get to actually do them. But we can only do them if they look like Jesus and they're filled with the Spirit. And so as I finish, I want to say this to you. I feel like I just want to pray a prayer and then we're going to go and let you lift your kids and get tea and coffee. But I want to say this. As I finish, I just felt as we were preparing last night, I think this is the Holy Spirit. Paul said to the Galatians, he said, are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish in the means of the flesh? I just felt I wanted to pray for a few people as I close. I'm going to ask you to respond just to stand. I just feel that there's some people here. You, You had a taste of what it is to live and be born again by the Spirit. But for whatever reason, maybe the church you went to, maybe people that you've had, maybe friends that you've had, maybe things that have gone on in your life, it feels like, actually, you know what? I need to get back to true sonship because I'm trying to, I'm trying to do it with control and fear and independence now. It's creeped into my heart and it's got a little, it's got a little bit hard. So let's, let's close our eyes. 
Just close your eyes and just, just feel like there's some people. I just want to finish by... It's my son laughing. Just, I just want to pray. Because it is that joy and freedom of the Holy Spirit that he wants to break out. But if we live by means of the flesh, we can't. So if you just feel God, I feel like just hearing this slight kind of challenge from the Apostle Paul. I started in the Spirit and have resorted to measuring my spirituality by other things. You just stand to your feet and I'd love to pray for you. And I'm going to pray for everyone. flesh could be sometimes the sinful things that we just need to repent of but it can also be just yeah, just that sense of control and, and independence and come Holy Spirit break out come Holy Spirit thank you for your sons and daughters God Thank you for your sons and daughters. Would you just meet them right now, God, by the power of your spirit, minister into their hearts. Lord, release them from fear, control, and independence. Release them. Release them, God, as they surrender, just in by standing, as they surrender, Holy Spirit, afresh. As they say, Jesus, any part of me that's kind of tried to get back onto the throne of my own heart, I just just get off now and I surrender to you. I can't change and transform myself without you, so come. So I ask you to come, Holy Spirit, increase your presence. Bring the freedom, righteousness, joy, and peace that comes in life of the Spirit. Why don't we all stand too just now? And God, I I just want to pray for everybody in this place tonight, Lord, today. Lord, I thank you for Every life, God, I pray and I ask that your spirit would bring the change and transformation in our lives that only you can give. God, we we wanted to dig into your word this morning and get a little bit more um, thoughtful about what it actually means and what we were taught by the scriptures it means to live in the spirit so that when we encounter your spirit and when your spirit comes upon us in power, We just can honor who you are, Holy Spirit. We love you, Holy Spirit. You're our favorite person, and we love how you bring us to the person of Jesus. We love how you help us worship him and and, and see his face and be changed into his likeness. And as we look at that more in the days ahead, God, we pray that we become, Lord, apprentices of Jesus, becoming more and more like you in our lives and all that we do for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.